lightning. Inspirational. Inspirational. Powerfully refining. Powerfully refining. And unapologetically controversial. Conversations with the Royal Impress. The entire world knows the secret of who you are. Now is the time to step into your queendom and become the Royal Empress that you're meant to be. One woman at a time. Conversations with the Royal Empress. Now Akima, she's the analytical Empress. Akima, she's the Empress that will challenge you. Now, straighten up your crown and be elevated through conversation. Conversation with the Royal Empress. Welcome back to Conversations with the Royal Empress. This is Dr. Hakima. And joining me is my sister from another mother, my kindred spirit, and co-host, the Royal Empress, Akila. Also joining us is a very, very special co-host today, a sister that I've been knowing for a very long time. Sister that the first time I met, I was like, yeah, there's good people. There's somebody to have in my corner. Very beautiful sister, very loving, very kind, very gentle sister. Her name is LaShondra Cooper. Hey, sis, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys today? <laughs> I'm doing fine. Now let me let me introduce you all to. Let me give a, a brief bio of this wonderful sister. I really need to do like a two page because that's how great she is. But I'm gonna do a short bio just so you our listeners could understand the type of sister that we interview today. Interviewing today, wonderful sister, Lysandra Cooper is a devoted family member, a devoted member of the Order of the Eastern Star, and a very passionate elementary school teacher. And when I say devoted family member, she got all her relatives. She is babysitting. She loves children. This is a sister who loves children. And when you have someone who loves children, that is definitely a great recipe for someone to be a great teacher. And in my opinion, you're a great teacher. But I, you, lady, you won't have to go on. Go, you won't have to talk about it. But you got an award for being a teacher, so or nominated for being a teacher, or something like that. So we'll talk about that a little later. But how are you doing today? You good? I'm doing good. Just <laughs> trying to make sure that I'm ready for today. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Yeah, you was a little nervous. I'm like, it's, it's okay. It's, it's all right. <laughs> Today's topic is, has the public school system failed our children? And that's, this is always a topic in, in many arenas. And you have those who are pro-private uh, school, and then you have those who are, no, public schools are great. It's not an issue. So what are your thoughts on this? Wow. Um, this is to me a kind of a hard question because there's so many different things that affect public school, the public school system. Um, I think it's kind of what you would call a perfect storm. You have a few different issues that affect the public school system. And when they're separate, it's a small thing, but when you combine them all together, it creates like a big vacuum and our children or children that are in, um, I don't want to say poor neighborhoods, but in poor neighborhoods, um, those are the students that are affected the most. So for me, 
has the public school system failed our children? Absolutely. Um, and like I said, there's quite a few reasons why, and we'll get into those. But um, the biggest thing that I take away from the public school education system is that we are all equal shareholders. Even if you don't have kids that attend public schools, you pay taxes. So you are a vested member in the school process. And as far as parents are concerned, um, you are the, the advocate for your child. Nobody can speak up for your child but you. You can have some other people do it, but you're the best advocate for your babies. And we don't have enough of that. And I think that's part of the reason why things are the way that they are. I totally agree about the advocacy part. And I had um, an experience when I first, when I was looking at schools for my son, when he was much younger, obviously. And I had a parent tell me that I had to be my child's best advocate. And, you know, and, and it, was, it was such a refreshing conversation to have a parent who had done this, her children were out of school, and I was just starting out with, you know, being a new mom, but she told me, she said, you have to advocate for your children. And she said, and if a school is no longer working for your child, don't be afraid to move. And some people don't necessarily have that option because of how the system is designed where you have to go to school in your district. And if you go out of your district, there's sometimes legal ramifications for that. We saw that situation happen. I can't remember where it was now where the, this woman was in, sent to jail for taking her child into another school district that was actually a better school district than the one that she was in. And, you know, which is, which is kind of sad because you have all sorts of things happening, but you would choose to arrest a parent and put her in jail because she sent a child to a better school district than the one that she had been assigned to. And that's unfortunate. And you can't say that she wasn't, I think that she was trying to advocate for her child, obviously, right? Yeah, but, definitely. Yeah, by trying to, to, to put them in the best situation possible. And I've heard people say, oh, it doesn't matter if a child wants to learn, they can learn anyway. And I completely disagree with that statement that it does matter. It absolutely matters. And you do have to, to stand up and you have to be vocal for your children, that doesn't mean that you're not working with the teachers because there's the other side where I've heard teachers complain about parents who are too overzealous. And so I don't know if that's a teacher who doesn't necessarily want to do something or if the parents are just too over, you know, they're overboard. But I've had those experiences where I had the teacher who was happy that I was active in participating because I see it as a partnership between yourself and the teacher. At least that was the way that I viewed education. And then there's some teachers that don't want to be bothered with the parents at all. I've seen it actually go both ways. Um, I'm a teacher that I, I want you in the classroom. I don't mind if you come in, just let me know what day you come in and you can sit in the back and, you know, observe. Um, I'm, for me, like you just said, it's, it's definitely a partnership. 
Um, I think some teachers feel like parents may come in and take over. I also think that some teachers can be kind of jaded by their interactions with parents before where there's something where I had a negative interaction with a parent. And so now I don't want to deal with parents at all. I used to be that way. But when you think about the, the goal and the ultimate goal is the education of the child outside of spending time with me, your child is with your parents or with their parents. So for us, we kind of have to work together. It is kind of, um, I guess it would be kind of like a co-parenting relationship. And so for us to kind of get where we need to be, I need you in my corner and you definitely are going to need me in your corner. So I can see where it comes from, where some teachers can be jaded and you do have some teachers that they don't want any interruption. Sometimes when you get a guest that come in the classroom, the kids go completely nuts and it takes about 15 minutes to kind of bring them back. But I think, as it goes, when you go into education, like that first month, they tell you, you know, you teach routines and you go over what is supposed to happen in certain circumstances. So that kind of goes back to the preparation. I would tell my kids, I don't care if Barack Obama comes in my classroom. We have things to take care of. He going to take a back seat and then he can kind of <laughs> fit in or get in where he fit in. So um, and when people would come in, they would kind of look at him. Some might say hello, and then they would get back to work because our goal is whatever needs to be accomplished for that day. Um, so, but again, like I said, parent participation, I, parents are the first teachers. Um, so it, it's very, very important that to me, parents be involved. Um, another thing that parents really don't think about, and I've explained it to parents, is that a lot of legislation, not legislation, but a lot of things that affect the school are passed through board meetings. So mm -hmm. if you don't come to a board meeting, you have no idea what's coming down the pipeline in your school district, you know, in the next couple of months or the next year or two. And so when it happens to come through and now you know about it and people are kind of ticked off and they're angry and well, I didn't know this happened. Well, if you look at the board minute, the board meeting minutes, this has been in play for a while. So, if you come to those board meetings when they present that information, that is your chance to ask questions. And if it doesn't sound right, then you can kind of rally other parents to kind of make some changes or make some noise to get what you feel that your children need. And a lot of times those board meetings are completely empty except for the board members and maybe a couple of parents and people from the community. And that's pretty much it. So that's another way to me that parents can get involved to change the system itself. And that doesn't happen very often. That's a little disheartening. <laughs> I want to go back to when you talk about the parents coming in the classroom and just share my experience. I, I've never had a teacher say, I didn't want you in the class. When, when, they, when they were informed that I would be coming in, they were like, come on in. You need, I want you to be in here. So your daughter can see you in, in here. You know what I mean? But, I found that it, it does, it's like a Hawthorne effect where it affects the environment changes when a parent comes in. And I, it, I felt that it made other children uncomfortable. So I said, you know, it's not something I would do on a regular because children who I could tell were more uh, involved in answering questions spend more time looking at me like they were afraid to answer because a parent's in the room. And I was like, oh, this is not good because... I'm making them feel uncomfortable because I'm foreign in that environment. 
So for me, I, 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 I did enjoy the fact that the teachers were like, come on in. I never had a teacher tell me, I don't want you in the classroom. Um, especially with my child, she talked too much. So of course they were happy for me to come in there because they knew <laughs> she was shut up. But as far as I felt my impact on the other students, I said, I, I said, I can't do, continue to do this. Cause I was like, I'm going to come in there every, every month. I'm going to come in there. But I found that, that, that created a certain type of environment. And now the children are not paying attention. They looking at me scared and trying to see what I'm going to do. So when you mentioned that, I said, that makes a lot of sense because now, is the environment really conducive to learning? Yeah, I don't know if it's possible if they even have that where teachers, they had a monitor where teachers can look, but not necessarily be in the classroom, but then that's, that becomes issue of privacy, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. No, they won't do that. Um, right. The other thing that I've seen parents do is um, they've like looked into the classroom where the kid isn't looking and I've even seen where you'll have like a closet and a parent will kind of hide in the closet, but that's a huge distraction too. Once, <laughs> closet. Um, yeah, once, once you know that the parent is in the closet or they come out, they, they're there to kind of catch you. So it does become a distraction. I just think that the best way is to kind of get them used to the fact that people can come in and out of the room. And then once they come in, it's work as usual. They're not here to interrupt. They may ask a question, but if you're uncomfortable, just let me know and then we'll take care of it. But for the most part, um, if they're used to it or they know that it's happening, then they'll be okay. Yeah, I was going to say one of, one of the, although my son went to public and private school, but one of the private schools that he attended, they had a requirement for parents to come in and volunteer during lunchroom duty. So the children wow. were accustomed to seeing parents at the school because you had that obligation. And if you couldn't do it, then you had to find somebody else who could. And that like, so, you know, grandparents or something like that. And then, you know, and it, of course they background you. So that's a, that's one of the things that I know that was different, but I had no issues with the public school system either, but I also live in the suburbs. So I don't know if there's a difference sometimes with the major cities versus the, the smaller uh, places with the school systems, even though it could be anywhere. Because sometimes the sub suburban areas have, don't necessarily have the best school districts either. That's true. So, I, I, I attest to that. <laughs> yeah. So that, <laughs> yeah, they don't necessarily, you have some that are great and some that are not so great. And, but that's what I'm just saying that I, I, but I've personally, I've had, I've had it both ways where I've had teachers, they'll have an open door policy, but some of them you could kind of tell would rather you not be so involved. But then I had some who loved the fact that you contacted them and it wasn't so much a coming and sitting in the classroom. It was just having open communication with the teacher and being opened, open just being open as opposed to just automatically jumping and thinking that the teacher is doing something wrong, which is, I think part of the problem with some of the, the, uh, the, you know, them not wanting parents in the classroom, but I think that it's just, I'm, I'm going to always feel like it has to be parent and teachers working together to improve the school system in general. There's just no way around it. You can't send your child 
to someone else for what is it six to eight hours a day and you have no involvement so just my humble opinion <laughs> i agree with you on that one i think well my take on a, a public school system is i think it's one thing is too many students in the class and and i guess it's it's easier it's easier that way because then you don't have to have as many schools if you could put more children in the community in one school then that's less money to have to have two and three schools within one community i understand it but that could also hinder a child's learning because all children don't learn at the same pace another issue i've seen just from talking to a lot of the, the uh, administrative at my daughter's school is they spend more time with disciplinary issues to the fact that it's hard to focus on learning when you got four or five children cutting up in the class. So it's like, how can you really, how can you stop and discipline them and go right back to trying to teach a class? And, and that was one of the, that was one of the things after talking to several administrators that that was their issue. It's like, we want to focus more on teaching, but it's very hard. We got to deal with these, these students fighting or these girls mad because you said something about me on social media. I mean, it's ridiculous the amount of things that administration has to be boggled down with when it comes to students. And most of it is outside the, outside the classroom. Like I talked to one teacher and she's buying food for the children because they're not eating at home. So, I mean, it's very hard to focus on developing these children when you got so many obstacles before you can capture their attention. Absolutely. Um, I want to touch on the discipline. Um, that is a huge, huge part of the reason why the public school system is, it, it's, I won't say it's terrible, but it's not the best. Um, there's, there's no discipline. In 2005, in January 2005, the state of Illinois, and I'm not sure about any other states, but they passed a bill called SB 100. And it was designed to cut down um, excessive suspensions and the school to prison pipeline. And it went into effect in September of 2016. But, and you understand because you do, uh, you know that African-American and Latino students, particularly males are suspended at a higher rate. Um, mm. But the take back or the, the downside to that is there's really no consequences for any type of disruption. Um, a lot of times they'll say, well, you'll get a detention and, or you'll get in school suspension. And some schools don't even have that, but you cannot suspend kids anymore. Um, like you used to before, um, unless they are a danger to themselves or to the building. So a lot of the behaviors mm -hmm. that kids would be suspended for, or they would be removed from the classroom. They have to stay there. So mm -hmm. it, it's very difficult to have an incident where I had an incident in my first year at CPS where two boys got into it and they were like taller than me. Like I'm five ten and they were like big kids and I called security. Security never showed up. And then it got to the point where one kid picked up a desk and he was ready to throw it. And it's like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> you know? And then security finally came, they took him out. And then when we finally got the class together, he's back in the classroom with a smile because he knew he didn't get in trouble. So wow. it's like, wow. what do you do? You know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. you, I kind of left to, you left out there on your own for the most part. And 
you have to come up with your own little tricks to discipline the kids. But if they're not used to structure, then they're going to rebel. And that was the issue that I had my first year was like, if you're not doing what you're supposed to do, I'll write you up. I'm trying to make sure that I write you up so that you get a detention because there should be a consequence for the actions that you've done. But if they don't get those actions, there's really nothing else you can do. And it makes the teacher ineffective because now it's like, well, you wrote me up, but I didn't get in trouble and I'm back in the classroom. So now what? And if it's a kid that'll try to push that limit, their behavior will escalate even more because they know that they can't get in trouble. And so that to me is a huge, huge, um, it's a huge issue and it's not fair. It's not fair to the students that are in the classroom. They're ready. They want to learn. And then we have to stop to manage the behavior. You always going to get like, you're always going to get one or two kids that are going to be a class clown. You're going to get one that's going to rebel against everything. But when you're talking about four or five kids, that's a lot. And it, again, it's, it's, it's such a disservice to the students that are sent to school to behave and they are there, they're ready to learn. And you've taken out a good 20 to 30 minutes of your time managing behavior. And that takes away from instructional time. So it's not, it isn't very effective. So I think there has to be a different system. There has to be some type of discipline system put in place so that these kids can learn. Because again, the whole purpose of them coming to school is to learn. That's the purpose. That's the goal. And that's what I'm here to do. But if, again, if you're breaking up fights, um, every day this past year, I had my co-teacher, she, um, she did a teaching fellowship in Botswana. So she was gone from like the end of December until like the end of April. And they had a sub in the classroom and she had no management. So every day kids would run in and say, Miss Cooper, there's a fight. So now I'm leaving my room to go break up a fight. And while I'm in here breaking up your fight, now my kids are going to be off task because there's not an adult in the room. And then when I get back in there, now I got to go back and take 25 minutes or 10 to 15 minutes to get them under control. That right there is a good chunk of time that they should be learning. And again, until they, that's one big issue that they need to take care of in the school. Because if that doesn't happen, no real learning is ever going to take place. It's just not. I have a, how do you, do you feel like this, that, that whole system of, of the, how the discipline is done or not done per se helps with that whole prison school to prison pipeline. Do you have any reflections on that at all? I, I really don't know. It just seems to me that, like I said, I get the purpose behind it, but it seems like those kids that are a constant behavior issue that should be suspended, they're getting in trouble by the police anyway. Mm. So it, you know, these are kids that were put on safety plans where they have to leave early from school because they're being targeted by gang members or, or you know, so, or they're getting in trouble with the police where the police will ha- literally have to come up to school and they would escort kids off of the premises. So it really, the, the intent is good, but it doesn't matter because those kids that are, that would be affected, 
they're getting in trouble anyway. So it's kind of like you're bypassing school to go directly right into the, the, the criminal system, so to speak. So I don't know. I, like I said, the intent is good. I get what they're trying to do. But at the same time, you're not doing them any favors because they're still getting in trouble. Now they have a record. Wow. Mm. I want to go back to something you said earlier about being being vested. <clears throat> you said some of of well, I I just found that out maybe in the last five years that you when you're paying taxes, you pay, you paying the community pays taxes for the school. And then I and it, it it makes me think about the people who say, "Well, I don't have no children's school age," but <laughs> they not really understand it. It doesn't matter because your tax dollars is going to the school anyway. Mm-hmm. I think if more people understand that their tax dollars are paying into the school, they probably be more vested. What do you think about that? I think so, but I've also seen the opposite where some people are kind of resentful um, because they're paying taxes, or their kids go to private school, or they, they don't have kids that are in the school system. But um, I think everything, when we talk about the community, everything is kind of interconnected. So yeah, you may not have kids that are in the school system, but these kids are in your neighborhood. And how they are educated or how many programs that we have in the district for them, that affects them. If you don't have any programs in the district, they have nothing to do, which leads them to getting into trouble or doing something that they shouldn't be doing um, or just being bored and not getting access to different resources that they should have. So when people say that, you know, they really don't care about that, you should care because this is something that you're paying into and you should be paying attention to it because your voice can affect change. If you go to a board meeting and you see that they're doing something that should not be done and you go in there and you make a little noise and let them know, they may change their mind. But a lot of times that type of stuff is pushed through because nobody's there to contest it. So it's something to think about. It's some, definitely something that people in the neighborhood should think about. We should take a good look at our schools because these are the people, most people come back to where they live. So if after I graduate from college or a kid graduates from college and they come back to their neighborhood, nothing is there. Part of that is because of the school. We need to build up the schools and that in turn can help build the community. And if you don't build that up, there's, there's nothing there. There's nothing for them to look forward to. And you're mm. killing your community. Gotcha. Gosh. I have a question for both of you. Because this is, this, this is my personal belief, but I just want to know what you all think about it is. I think the school system would be more successful if we had black male teachers in school, and also if we had less Caucasian teachers. I'm sorry, I just feel like many of the Caucasian teachers have a lack of understanding of how to handle our children or how to motivate our children to learn. I just, I just know some of the difficulty that I've had to address with a teacher, it's been cultural differences and, and lack of cultural understanding. What are you all thoughts on that? Well, trying to, okay. Go ahead. No, let we'll, we'll let you let the guest co-host go first. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts about this. Um, my first teaching job was um, in a south suburb, um, South Holland, and um, a lot of teachers were um, 
were Caucasian. Um, I can say that for me, um, out of all of the teachers that I interacted with, I would say a good three or four were like vested in our children, like completely vested in their improvement. Um, some teachers are there for a check and you can, you can tell, you, you know them when you see them. Um, but I also feel like sometimes teachers have biases and I'll admit that I've had some too. Um, and you have to be willing to accept that you do have a bias and you have to be willing to put in the work to change the bias because if you don't, kids detect that. They know when you're not there for them. They understand it and they feel it. That's why I like working with kids because they are so authentic. They, they know when you're phony and they don't want to be bothered. But when you're genuine, they will do anything that you ask them to do. Um, so for me, I just, I, I know it, sound, it sounds racist, but I'm a fan of people teaching people that look like them. Um, because it is, you know, it's some cultural things that we have. That's not to say that white people can't teach our kids. I'm just saying they, to me, the relationship building is a little bit better because you have those biases. I'll give an example. Um, I had a teacher uh, that I worked with and he would teach, he taught social studies and it was, he taught like early American history. And so he talked about, um, Thomas Jefferson. And he's like, Thomas Jefferson is one of the greatest presidents in American history. And so the kids came in and they're like, Ms. Cooper, he's the greatest president. I'm like, what? Are you serious? <laughs> and they're like, oh, you, you just hate. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm not hating. But when we evaluate a person, we need to evaluate the good and the bad. You can't give people the hero treatment. So with Thomas Jefferson, you know, he was a slave owner you were descendants of slaves. So how is he that great of a person? Um, he had a slave that he had kids with and she was like a teenager. So <laughs> that's a rapist and a pedophile. And they, I'm like, <laughs> if you don't believe me, like Google it and see, you know, wow. um, but even different than him just saying that it's, he's a good person or he's one of the greatest presidents, you're conditioning our children mm -hmm. to think that they are less than what they should be. And to me, that's a, that's a problem because you're, you're, I don't know. That's, I don't know. I just, I feel like we need, or teachers that are from different cultures, they need some diversity training um, to, again, unpack those biases and the different messages spoken and unspoken that you may convey to your students because they do feel it. They do, they know it. And, um, those type of interactions can affect how they view education. You have one bad interaction with a teacher and you might be like, forget school, I'm done. And by the same token, if you have good interaction with a teacher, that could change your mind and transform you into doing something that you never thought of. And so we have to be careful with who we have um, or be careful with who we let have access to our children because that can, that can change their whole trajectory. Mm. Absolutely. And I, I, so to answer your question, yes, I think that there should be more black male teachers in the schools, particularly for boys. And while I do believe that there are some white teachers who are good, 
and have the best interests of children in mind in general. It's just like you said, there are some that come with their own biases and their own opinions, and they have a, a different view of society than we do or of history than we do. And sometimes those personal opinions should probably be left alone and you just teach the facts versus teaching personal opinion. So at the point that you say that Thomas Jefferson was the greatest president we've ever had, that is opinion, that is not a fact. And so now you're teaching outside, in my opinion, you're teaching outside a curriculum at the point that you start attributing your <laughs> personal opinions to a lesson that you're teaching. So I, I definitely think that cultural sensitivity should be a requirement for educators. But I also think that, that it matters sometimes, and, and because I'm the mother of, a, of, a, of a, a black boy, well, almost man now, but one of the things that I noticed was that sometimes teachers, and this, and this isn't just for black boys, but sometimes there are teachers who have biases against boys in general, because boys do not learn in the same manner as girls. And that is just a simple reality. And I remember when my son started kindergarten and somebody told me about his teacher and she happened to be a white teacher, but she actually was good and she actually did care. And they told me she's one of the best teachers for boys. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? But she was. For just, just, a, just a simple example was boys didn't get in her in trouble in her classroom because they bought up a piece of paper and threw it in the garbage can like it was a basketball. They also didn't get in trouble if they decided to roll across the floor to the garbage can <laughs> and they're like a basketball. And her, and her response was, this is what they do. Right. And so you can't tell the little boy to just sit there and not let him blow off any energy whatsoever because then you're going to get behavioral problems. So sometimes you just allow them to do certain things. And so I think that there is a training in general that teachers have to have just in terms of understanding how to teach boys and girls and how to keep that, those behaviors in check in classrooms that boys have to blow off steam a little bit. They can't get out of control. You can't try to make them just sit there and do nothing. But I also think that men get that when it comes to educating boys because they were boys and they know what they did, you know? And so I, I definitely think that it's, um, it's important just from, from that standpoint of understanding a, how to relate to black children, but also how to relate to boys. It's something that I think is, is, is huge and would go a long way. So some of the disciplinary problems that we see is really because with children you're trying to teach from a one-size-fits-all kit and you're also as they say you're trying to put a square peg in a in a round hole and it just doesn't work for them and the one other thing that i wanted to touch on with um male teachers um i know people like clown teachers and they say we don't get paid enough but the reality is is that for the work that you do you you don't get paid enough but in order to attract more men into education, you're going to have to pay them more because our men are supposed to be our providers. How is a man going to provide for his family and he's only making 55000 a year and he's got three or four kids? That's just not, it's not feasible. 
So you do kind of have to look into, or they would have to look into paying more. And then the other thing that I've noticed is that when you have a strong man in the classroom, regardless of race, all of the disciplinary problems go to him. And mm, yeah, he didn't yeah. get hired to be just a disciplinarian. He took classes and got a degree to teach just like the rest of us. So to send all of your disciplinary problems to him all the time, that's a disservice to him and for what he was hired to do. So mm. I think when they get those two things together, like you're going to have to pay more. I mean, you, you're just going to have to eventually and allow him to be a teacher instead of a disciplinarian. I think mm. you'll attract more men into the actual education industry. It's so many guys out here that can teach and do a good job because they are great with kids. My brother is one. He refuses to get into education because he's like, I don't want to be that one teacher. They send all of the bad kids to me because that's generally mm. what happens. So mm. that's something that they definitely are going to have to work on because no teacher wants to come in and get all of the behavior issues every day. It's just not, they want to teach too. So that's something that they, they definitely have to work on. I have to tell you that I, 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 sub, I used to substitute teach a long, 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 long time ago. <laughs> and that is exactly what happened. I had a seventh grade class and the teacher next door was a guy. And basically when a fight broke out, at, you know, but he came to me and told me himself, if you have any issues, I'm right next door. Because I, I knew for a fact I was not getting ready to break up a fight between <laughs> two seventh grade boys who in general were bigger and probably stronger than me by that point. And so he did. He had to come over there because I did have a couple little scuffles that broke out and he had to come over there and straighten it out. So that is true. And usually it's always it's also usually the gym teachers that get the disciplinary um, issues, always yeah. the, the, the coaches and the, and the gym teachers are the primary disciplinarians, I think, in schools. At least that's been my experience and what I've seen. I would like to see a balance in the classroom. It would be nice to have a male and a, and a female teacher in the classroom. It would bring more balance. It would also be a great example for the children to see a man and a woman working together. I know that would be difficult because one going probably it would be difficult two people working together in a classroom. I'm sure that would be, but just from a balance standpoint, it would it would be ideal. It may not be feasible, but it would definitely be ideal. I think. But they have the paraprofessionals, right? And those are usually you get a lot of men in those positions, don't you? No. Um, no. Most of the paraprofessionals um, primarily are women. Um, you may get like maybe one or two, but again, those, I mean, it depends on the school district. Um, some pair or some school districts really use their paraprofessionals in the capacity that they should be used. Mm -hmm. And then you have some school districts where that paraprofessional is being a substitute teacher because they don't have enough subs. So they should be in the room with you, but they're doing something else and they're acting in another capacity in the school. So they never get to you. Mm -hmm. Um, so even if you have a paraprofessional and they're a good one, if they're pretty good and you're short on subs, that paraprofessional is probably subbing in another room. So oh, you don't wow. have, yeah, you don't have that person in the room to help out. That's interesting considering that they don't have to have a degree and then you have them in this room substitute teaching. That's kind of, 
Yeah, and it's not supposed to happen. Uh-huh. That's what I'm that, right. That's why we said that. I'm thinking, okay, even substitute teachers is supposed to have a degree now. So, mm-hmm. uh, um, I wish, but I think a lot of people don't even think about that too. That when when a lot of times when people graduate from college, and this is just me tossing this out here, that once you have a college degree, you can apply for your substitute teacher license and become a substitute mm-hmm. teacher while you're waiting on whatever job or whatever and you know that might not be a bad idea for people to really do not just because you want some money but sometimes sometimes young people can kind of relate to the younger people and they have something different to offer no no just just a thought no it's a, it's a good it's a good suggestion i think i i agree um my only my only caveat to that is if you don't like kids, do not come in the room. If you don't like kids, do not come into the classroom because it's, you're going to frustrate yourself and you're going to frustrate the kids. And to me, that's a waste of time. If you like kids, definitely do it. But if you don't, stay away to me. <laughs> now that is hilarious. You're right because you have somebody coming in there. I said, sit your backside down. It's like, wait a minute. You just can't that you've just been in the class uh-huh. for five minutes. <laughs> and you don't have no patience for children because that would be me. That would be five <laughs> minutes. I'd be like, sit down and shut up. So you're right. <laughs> I understand that that makes a lot of sense that you have to have the passion to work with I children. Have one final that. question for you. As as someone who works in the in the public school system, and since we talked about is the school system failing us or failing our children, what do you think really is the solution to that? How can how can our school system improve? Wow, this would be like a three or four episode uh, <laughs> show. Um, <laughs> yes, I was just thinking that. <laughs> um, one thing that I see that could help is trying to get parents more involved. Um, another thing that we didn't touch on that has a huge, huge impact on our students is unequal funding among schools. Um, you can. I mean, here's an example. You can go to Walter, what is it, Walter Payton College Prep or Whitney Young. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those schools look like, I mean, the technology, the resources they have there is awesome. Yes. And I can go to Harlan, which is like on what, 99th or something like that over here, like King Drive or whatever. And, it's the, com- yeah, and it's the complete opposite. They don't have none, they don't have a lot of their same resources. And these are schools that are in the same school district. That should never happen. So we need equal funding amongst our schools. How do you expect kids that already are below poverty levels, so chances are their reading levels and things are not where it's supposed to be, and then they still don't have access to the same things that are designed to, to build them up? That, that um, to me, unequal school funding is like punishing poor kids for being poor, and that's yep. something that should not happen. Mm. Um, that's one thing. And then, um, another thing that I think should happen is, um, we testing our babies too much. Um, we are assessing them way too much. Like you have NWEA reading and math, depending on the grade, you have science, you have the Illinois assessment for readiness. It used to be called the park exam. And then you have all of these other tests in addition to like a regular unit test, like your regular chapter nine math test it's too much testing it's too much and a lot of it is tied to a lot of the state 
assessments are tied to government funding. Mm-hmm. We got to work a way around that because it's too much because now you have teachers that are just teaching to the test and yes. they're not getting the full experience of a well-rounded education. They're just focused on reading and math and it's so much more to school than just reading and math. Mm. So the, those are some things they can start on, but it's a lot more that they have to do. Okay. Wow. That Thank was you. powerful. That was, that was very powerful. We can get you a political spot or somewhere. So <laughs> no. for office, that, that was some no. good, that was some good suggestions. I mean, <laughs> I, when you said the funding, I was thinking about that. I said, I bet it's tied. Everything is always tied to the money. Oh, absolutely. So or funding, it's always got to go back to a dollar amount. And that is what, drive the business world even education world mm-hmm. now this brings us to our challenges yes our challenges i have four of them the first one is be your child's best advocate that was what was discussed and i think that's an excellent idea you have to you have to be your child's advocate they cannot always speak up for themselves it's for you to speak for this speak up for them but also for you to be their representative and what your child needs your child can't assess themselves and to see how effective their learning at school is on them. It's up to you as a parent to do that. The next challenge, get involved. Your taxes, your taxes are, are being contributed to the school. You're paying taxes. So if your money, if you're paying in taxes is going to the school system, you might as well get invested. You might as well get involved. It's your money. The next challenge is go to the board meetings. Try to find out what's going on, what's, what's going on, what challenges that the local schools have. What, what's working well for them? Before you start complaining, find out what's going on. Because maybe you're complaining because you didn't do enough to go in and represent the children, to represent the parents. So be mad at yourself if you're going to complain, but don't go to a meeting. The last challenge is get more involved with the school. We can't say that enough. There are so often where the schools have things planned and parents do not attend. They don't come out, but then always have something to say. The school don't do enough for my child where you don't even interact with the school. You don't even come out and support the school. So as parents and those of us in the community, whether you have children in the community that's school age or not, we're still accountable for what goes on in that school. That's like Ms. Cooper said, the children in that community affects the community so if they don't learn they're affecting the community so how well how well they learn is is going to um, give them opportunity to demonstrate that in the community in which they live so do you have any last words for us uh chandra um you kind of summed it up again um to me invest in your children even if you don't have i get a lot of parents that say well you know i really don't read that good okay so what's stopping you from buying a book and increasing your knowledge? Y'all can learn together. So it is invest in your kids, but invest in yourself also. Um, and then another thing that I feel as far as the last word is, let the teachers do their job. Let them teach. Um, it's a lot of stuff behind the background. We talked about the unequal funding and all of that type of stuff. And like I said, we could this could be a multi-part show. but I'm just saying, let, let your teachers teach. That's what we're here for. Um, we're not in it for the money. Trust me. If, if we were in it for the money, we would be doing something else. Um, <laughs> I am passionate about what I do. And if 
you get out of the way and let me do what I came to do, I guarantee you your kids will learn. And you can come in anytime and see it. Um, like I said, other teachers are not like that, but I am. You can come in. You might get something to do too. <laughs> but just be open to be open to learning. You got to be open to learning. And when you're open to learning, great things can happen. Wow! Thank thanks. you so much. Thank you so much. Is there if anyone would like to contact you? What information? Where can they contact you at? Um, I am on Facebook. Um, and it's Chandra, S-H-O-N-D-R-A, middle initial L, and last name Cooper. If they want to contact me, they can find me there. That's right. All right. Okay. But thank you so much for joining us today. And I want to say to our listening audience, thank you for tuning in every week and supporting Conversations with Royal Empress. We look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of Conversations with the Royal Impress. Tune in next week for another enlightening conversation. For more information on the Royal Impress, please visit the website royalimpress.org. You can also follow the Royal Impress on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Conversations with the Royal Impress is a subsidiary of the Royal Impress organization. All rights reserved.